0: Uh, Now, first of all, I want to welcome, just by starting off by mentioning two things um, before I start, I want to thank Andrea Atkinson uh, for last week's message. If you did not get to hear it, please listen to it online. Um, She did a fantastic job. Andrea did an excellent job sharing how God is the master potter. Uh, He's created us for his purpose. And using her understanding of pottery revealed to us how God is shaping and molding us. So just keep that in, in your brain. As if you weren't here, please listen to it online. Uh, was a wonderful message. And also want to give also another mention of Dave Perry's message that started off this series. Um, Dave shared two weeks ago about how the New Testament is a record of how God, how he shares how God delivered Israel from and from the people and the people of Israel from Pharaoh, and he brought them to the promised land. But that has relevance to us. And he shared it from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 and verse 11. Paul using them as an example for us today. And so Dave started to share this series that's called Exodus Plus, going from slavery to freedom. That's the Christian walk. And he shared with, starting with, knowing the God who hears our cries. Was, that was two weeks ago. So, again, if you can hear it online, it'd be great. This morning, we're going to continue with our Exodus Plus series by embracing the God who calls. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, Embracing the God who calls. You can go for it. Embracing the God who calls. I have a lot of scriptures, so we're going to go through it. I do have them up on the, up on the uh, screen for you, but please open your devices. Feel free to write them or write along or whatever on a notepad. But we'll just go on. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Then the Lord said, I have truly seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And again, Dave shared about it. God hears the cry of his people. And we're just going to jump down two verses because Dave kind of covered those. So verse 10, Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And again Dave shared about how Paul talked or sorry, how Moses or God talked to Moses and shared his name. So let's continue in chapter four. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I would run from it too, just to be honest. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I have given you this sign. And then we just continue down to verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's tongue or mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lords, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, "Is there not Aaron your brother, a Levite? The Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart." Let's pray, Father. I thank you for your word right now, and I ask. I know we've already prayed, but we need to now uh, let your words sink in, because we come to the living God. We come to you, and we thank you that, Lord, you have your words are life. And Lord, I thank you for your invitational God. You're calling to us. Even this morning, I pray release your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, often I think about this. We just read this nice little passage in Exodus 3 and it kind of went to 4. I know it's quite a bit, but there was a, a simple phrase that we would just gloss over, but it has such incredible meaning and incredible impact. It's in verse 4. The Lord called out to him. Called out to Moses. See, why is that so significant? Because I love it that God is the one that that initiates this. God is the one that calls. Yes, of course, he first got his attention by going, "Well, that's kind of weird." I, I didn't. What's that burning bush thing? Like Moses kind of got his attention. Like, what? Okay, that's something weird. But it wasn't at, until the Lord then spoke to him that it engaged this relationship. And I love that God is a God that calls out. He calls out to people. Because you think about it, Mo- Moses just minding his own business, really. He's just tending his flock, doing his thing. Ever had that where you're just kind of doing your own merry old way? And then all of a sudden, you have God wanting to speak to you. Does it happen still? Well, the Lord hasn't changed. And he is the God who calls. And not necessarily from a burning bush but actually something for that's even greater than a burning bush this morning. He's actually speaking from a cross and from his resurrection. This morning, we have actually a greater opportunity than Moses did because of Christ. Now, I'll have to be honest. It's, very, it's easy to have a concept of God that is built on the idea that God is outside of Everything. that God may be present, but he's detached. It's easier to think of God like that. I'll tell you why. Because if God is like that, if God is distant, or maybe he's there, but he's just not present, we can ignore him. And we don't actually have to make him, he's not having to be relevant to us. However, even if, you know, let me explain this one, even if something goes bad, guess what? We can also even blame God because he's distant. But that's not what Scripture's saying right now. He's the God that calls out. He's the one that's giving invitation, saying, hey, hey, hello? Moses. Moses. Aaron. Aaron. You know, Nicky giving us invitation all the time because we see that God is the God that interacts with creation and the implications are absolutely huge. God is not distant. He's not far off. Rather, God is initiating with us and calling us, reaching out to us. In fact, this is what makes Christianity different from all other religions. All other religions. You see, in other religions, there is uh, the us or people um, working for spiritual enlightenment or holiness to, to attain a right standard, to hear from God, to actually become righteous. You, you have to do stuff. You have to attain a, a better enlightenment with it. And I, I explained this. Somebody said, you ever, you ever actually listen to a, a Baha'i share their faith? and how they themselves want to attain such enlightenment that they now become uh, closer to creation and God, or God. Well, Christianity says, no, no, God reaches to us even when we're broken or in a sinful state. And it's not about our holiness, it's about him. Now I admit it's very easy to feel like God is distant and because of circumstances and events and it can make us feel like that but the del- and the devil would also want us to believe that. But according to scripture God says I'm calling. But I wonder I wonder if he's wonder, I wonder if he's going will you respond? See because that's the real question. If God is speaking, what is our response? Well, in this passage, I love it because in the dialogue with Moses, we see how, how do you engage with a God who's calling? How do you actually uh, get our hearts where we will respond to him? And I love it because Moses is just a man. He's not some uber guru that suddenly had a great encounter and he's, he's like, whoa, and, and all on fire. In fact, we see a lot of humanity, which lets, lets me relate. But the first thing is, well, what is our response? And we see what, uh, what Moses does this. He starts by accepting an invitation from a holy God. Accepting. Scripture says, as he said, Moses, coming. he says, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. Now, accepting an invitation from a holy ground, what do I mean by that? Well, it starts with a proper view of God. You see, understanding that God is giving us an invitation, God is unlike any other. He's is not uh, a friend per se, because my friends, I see them all the time. He's, he's bigger than my friends. And he's a father. We hear it; he's a father. But we actually see that he is bigger and more than that because he's created all things. It starts with a proper view. This is actually the first time the Bible mentions God as holy. Did you know that? Moses, take your... Come come see me now, but first, take off your sandals, for where you're standing is holy ground. It's, It's amazing to think that now, suddenly, he's aware of God's presence... But just because of the presence of God, suddenly the ground becomes holy. Somehow the presence of God makes this dirt and grime become different. Do you know anyone that can do that? That literally, because of their presence, they actually transform an area. That's what's happening, apparently. Moses, come see me. But whoa, stop! Whoa, whoa, whoa. You better, you better know who you're dealing with here. You need to have a proper view. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Now, I don't know about you, but if I walk down the aisle, this does not become holy ground. There is nothing. It does not magically change. But for some reason, with God was to walk down this aisle, we would have a completely different response. And I have to remember that. This is a proper view of when we come to meet the living God. That's a proper view. Because I've been taught that he loves us and he's a friend and he's a father, but I forget of his holiness, his so otherness that are we in awe when we come to church? Like, in awe, like, oh, take off your feet. Take off, not your feet, well, I mean, take off, that'd be (laughs) horrible. Take off your sandals. We're standing on holy ground. Because what he's saying is God is so set apart. He's higher than us. And it's back to Andrea's illustration from last week. We're the clay and he's the potter. Yes, through Christ, God is our friend and we're brought back to the Father, but he is still holy. And without a revelation of God's holiness... The cross actually means nothing. Why do you need forgiveness? Well, I, I heard this impression, expression that I heard from a Bible teacher, and the Bible teacher said something that was very impacting. He said, the trajectory of our lives, the aim of your life, is determined by one single thing, the image of God we live by. It's not the image that we would say that we think we live by. For example, if I was to go and share what I actually live by in the foyer, it would be kind of different because it's, you know, we put up a good face. Like, we know he's holy. But it's actually the reality of what we live according to what we believe he's like. In other words, sadly, we live as if God is a small God and he's not very interesting and not very relevant. Most Christians actually live that way. Do you know why I know that? Because during the week, we see him as very small. We don't interact with him and we don't see him very relevant. In fact, that's the challenge is most of us, if we think God is an actual big God, He's a really huge God, all loving, all kind, all knowing, and you interact with that God, it changes everything. He's compassionate and kind. He is absolutely unfathomable in how he deals with us. Imagine he doesn't give up, never gives up. If that's your concept of God, this is what happens during your week. It changes it if he's all-wise, wouldn't you go to him for wisdom when you're struggling with stuff? Or if you're really worried about things at work and stuff going on, wouldn't you go, God, you are in control. You are sovereign. Wouldn't that happen? But because, tragically, if we have a small view of God, we often live with a small life in him. Moses approaches God, and God says, hey, I want you to have a proper view of me. I'm calling to you, but let's start with a proper view. And I believe this, the people who live with a big God live absolutely differently. And so my prayer even this morning is, God, let let me have a bigger view of you. Let me wake up tomorrow and say, okay, God, you are actually the one that puts breath in me. You're the one that helps me to In you, I live and move and and have my being. I need you tomorrow. I I was thinking about this way this this morning as I was worshiping. You know that there was a song that goes, I'm going to bring you a song. And then I go, I was going, do I really? God, do you want my song or do you actually want Me? I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You require much more than this I'm I'm offering up a sacrifice of praise I started thinking, what is a sacrifice of praise? Because you're worthy So this morning, as I was even worshipping I'm going, God doesn't want my songs He wants me Because He is big, huge, So that, our response to God's call is an accepting an invitation from a holy God, but, but it's also this. One, get a great perspective, but two, continuing by dealing with our sin. Take off your sandals. Why does he have to take off his sandals? You ever thought about that? You see, I want to I get really real with the response to the God who's calling you. In the Middle Eastern culture, they they had sandals on everywhere. They wear sandals pretty much everywhere because it's dirty, it's grimy, and but primarily, especially in the Middle East, there is lots of venomous and poisonous things: scorpions and snakes, spiders. That that you know what they kill you. They don't. You know it, it, we're not like with us, or so we want You know if we walk around outside in, in bare feet, you can get away with it because we have very few things that'll actually kill us. Middle East is totally different. So these sandals were to help you where you're walking, they're helping with, it, but they actually gave you a lot of protection. Suddenly God's saying to Moses, excuse me, take off the thing that you use for your protection on. Take it off. That has a lot of dirt and grime on it, did you know? And you're standing on holy ground. Well, let me, let me explain the reality of what he was saying. He's like, Moses, I want you to humble yourself. And you're going to become very vulnerable right now. Very vulnerable. This isn't normally what you do in your custom. This isn't what you do in your culture. And you normally don't take your... And unless you're know, brought into place and they do a nice foot washing and you're in the home and you're there. But no, today, you need to do this. And you're going to be exposed. What well, God was asking Moses in some ways to do this, because... He was asking himself to be reveal uh, very specifically. I want to come right to your heart, to you, and you're going to be humble with this. He was specifically dealing with sin. Now, I don't know about you, sin is not a popular message today. Did you know that? I can talk about God's love. I can talk about His mercy. I can talk about grace. I can talk, but when I talk about sin, it's funny how we go. Really? Are you going to talk about that, Pastor? Well, why is it that God suddenly says to him, I want you to take off your sandals. I want you to get rid of whatever would be from the grime and the gru- of the day. Well, I believe this is that it's easy to talk about what God loves, but when, what do we do when we, we know the things that God hates? And this is what sin is. The things that God hates and he commands us not to do them. And this is what is revealed in the Ten Commandments. He says, as my created beings, I know that what is best for you and I want you to get away from those things because they will destroy you. And so he calls us to take those off. He, I, I guess the thing is, this is the challenge, is we don't see the urgency. How many of you, when you came in today, took your shoes off? Praise the Lord. Three of you! Amen! Normally we don't, because we don't see what's the need. And and especially in our culture, like, we don't get this idea. Well, especially in our culture, we don't actually see the need to deal with sin. We don't call sin a sin. But God sees it. God actually sees what the consequence of each one does. Because he actually loves you so much, he's going, Listen, sin has a cost. And the wages of sin is death. And I don't want you to die. Take it off. Sin has this wonderful ability to do this. It's kind of like a little whirlpool or, or a vortex. Have you ever gone swimming and got stuck in an eddy? Do you know what an eddy is? When you, it's by the, when the water comes down and it actually pulls you under. We're going down by the rapids one day and I, I fell down the water and we were swimming. That was really fun. Then all of a sudden I hit this eddy and then I was like, I can't, oh. Oh, oh, it's pulling me under. Well, like that, sin has this, it looks really enticing at the beginning. It's really kind of fun. But then as you get stuck in it, it suddenly seems to pull you until eventually you can't get out of it. Have you ever seen anyone or, or heard of anyone who has, has a real bad habit? Do you, know, do you know what they would say? I'm stuck. And now it's destroying me. I'll give you an example. If you've ever grew up in a family that has had the the destruction of alcohol, if you've ever had to deal with that, is is alcohol a sin? No, but it it can sure lead you to sin. And we don't want to actually talk about how it's destructive power and what it does because the enemy wants us to say, you don't have to worry about it, just like he did with Adam and Eve. Hey, it's all good. But that's not what God says. He's a holy God who suddenly says, listen, you need to take your sandals off. You need to, not, to uh, get these things off you because it's actually killing you. I have a call for you, but this is, you need to deal with first. I have an invitation for you, but you need to recognize the things that are actually holding you from his presence. Because the scary part is because we don't deal with our sin, it first and foremost wrecks our relationship with God. But this is the, probably the most destructive part. It actually wrecks our witness. A friend once said to me, What's it, why should I go to church? I said, why? He goes, why? I see all my, I see all my Christian friends over in this place and they're doing, nothing, doing everything I'm doing anyway. And I went, wow. I had no response, actually. Because unfortunately... They didn't understand the consequences of, of just even the witness that sin was destroyed. And so, what I love about this is that God says, "Take it off." And I love it because it's this, this. In Second Corinthians chapter six, well, let's first of all, Galatians six verse seven says, "Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. If you reap to the flesh, you will reap destruction." It's, an, again, this idea that we think we can get away with it, but God says, no, I, I actually know that it's destruction. But in accepting an invitation from only God, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 6, verse 2, he says, today, while it's still today, accept salvation. In other words, you know what? Although I know I have sin. I can actually deal with it now. Don't put it off. Hebrews 3 verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness while you still have time. In other words, as God gives an invitation, he says, I want you to deal with this. Don't put it off. It might be too late. Don't minimize it. Because this is the beauty of it. And I I love how we do these set-free weekends because the set-free weekends is where we actually do something that's very biblical. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, there's a promise the Lord says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, the beauty of God is he gives an invitation, but he also recognizes, he says, you have this stuff, but I have a way for you to get rid of it. I have a way for you to be healed. It's called confession. You say, God, I need you. You don't have to do it with a bunch of people, don't have to, but you do have to have confession. And as we confess with our hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord, what does the scripture say? You will be saved. An invitation. Now, I love it because when God talks to Moses in this, Moses did one thing, he hid his face from God. How many of you, sometimes if you know that it's easier to hide, then just let God reveal you and talk to you about your sin? Because again, we, we categorize it. Did you know pride is a sin? Did you know lying is a sin? And sometimes God's going, I want you, I want to come, but you know what, you actually got pride. And it's inhibiting you from coming closer to me. Oh, you're, you're dealing a temptation is not a problem, but he says if you're tempted, why do we need to pray with each other? Pray that deliver us from evil. Do you know what the beauty of it is? What I've found a joy in our in in our leadership. Every Wednesday, what we do is elders we get and we pray together. But one the most important thing that we do is we actually confess with one another our sins. So I'll sit there and say with Aaron, I'll go, Aaron, and we talk, we say, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you just want to speak into my life? And you know what? Nothing's unbarred. We can actually sit there and say, you know what? I've been struggling with this week. And what happens is when I pray with Aaron, suddenly, guess what? I'm healed. And I'm set free. God will talk to me about pride. He'll talk to me about whatever. As long as I'm willing to say, you're holy, and I can take my sandals off. Get really vulnerable. So our response to God's call is accepting an invitation from a holy God. But the other part is this, is then is receiving his purpose in our life. You see, God says, I want to show you who I am. I'm a holy God. It's going to deal with your sin, but I have a purpose for you. For, I love it because in, it says in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and, you, and that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? How many of you know that God has a purpose for you? And a plan? Do I really believe that? Well, what would you do if God said, I want you to save an entire nation? Uh, that's too big. Nope. Uh, not going to happen. Nope. Uh Think, put yourself in Moses' shoes. God is giving him a very big purpose. Big, 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 big. And Moses' first reaction is, mm, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, thank you. Um, I, and I believe it's this. In receiving God's purpose for, in, our, in life, you first of all have to recognize that it's his purpose and not ours. Believing that God has a purpose in our life, that all are created and no one is a a mistake, answers three big questions for us. Because we are all looking for meaning. We're all looking for a reason to exist. All are created. And I love this, that it says these three questions. Why am I alive? Does my life matter? And what on earth am I here for? A question of existence, why am I alive? A question of significance, does my life matter? A question of intention, does my, what's my purpose? Did you know people have been asking that question, why am I here on this earth for years, for centuries? Jeremiah actually said this in 20 verse 18. He says, why am I alive? To have trouble and sorrow Jeremiah was obviously having a very bad day at the time when he was writing the scripture. I, no, why am I alive? Is it just so that I can have bad things happening? What's the purpose, God? What are you, what, what are you after? And I I even think this: the, the wisest man that lived on the earth at the time at his time, Solomon. What did he write about? Life. But what did he come to the conclusion? what's our purpose almost he almost asked the time meaningless meaningless like what what's what, what's it all about what if I had all the money in the world and he did what if I could have all the relationships that I want what if I could do this what if what what does it all accumulate you see when we try to find out our purpose within ourselves we become tragically lost the answer is not found in us but in God. In him we live and move and have our being. When we understand that God says, I have a purpose for your life, it's recognizing that it's his purpose, not my purpose. And this is the, the thing that's challenging about it is, did you know that in young people especially, that the suicide rate is cr- going crazy skyrocketing? Do you know why? Why? Because as we reject God and say, God, you who have the author and the perfecter, the, you have purpose in us, and we don't want you, guess what happens? You grow up not knowing what you, what's life to live for. And as young people especially that have bombarded by different, me- tons and tons of messages of what life is and what it is, eventually you say there's nothing and, they, and, and what's happening is, well, I'll just can, I'll f- take my life. Because life then has no purpose. It has no meaning. Except, God says, I have a purpose for you. I have meaning. Now, I think that the, ch- the thing for me is, though God says I have purpose and I have a meaning for you, this is my challenge and my reality check. I, I have to let go of the wheel. Like, this, this is my challenge. How many of you like to ask for directions when you're driving? Any of you? Who absolutely refuses to ask for directions when driving? Thanks, Rob. That's me too, buddy. How often, I know that I need to have direction, and I know that, but you know, it would be so easy to just say, hey, uh, you know, pull over, whatever, hey, do you know where to go? Like, thank God we have GPS now. Because now I at least can feel I can talk to my wife and say, hey, honey, can, can you get the lowest direction? But the funny thing is, even when she's got the GPS, I'm arguing with her the shortest route, right? She's nodding her head. She's like, I'm like going, that can't be the direction. No, we got to go this way. And she's like, listen, I can't, it, the, the GPS is saying this way. And I'm like, no. And then, and then when we hit a spot where it's like the, you know, traffic is crazy, I'm like, Why? There's something inside me that doesn't like taking direction very well. I don't know what it is. Sin. Yes, pretty much. (laughs) The inability for us to say, really, you have a purpose? You're in control? And releasing to trust you? God's the best GPS, but somehow we fight him all the way. And if we understand that he has a purpose for us, he he says, I have a purpose, but it's my purpose, not your purpose. And I believe that uh, when we allow, like Andrea said, let the potter do his work and figure out what is he shaping in us, what is he molding, life changes completely. It's a totally different thing. But it believes this, our response to God's call and receiving his purpose is by looking to God instead of ourselves. I I love Moses' response. He says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Notice what he said. Who am I? God had already told him, I am is my name. Moses' response, I know who you are now, but what about me? Sorry? What about me? His perspective shifts where it's like, yeah, yeah, I know who you are, but look at who I am. And I I think this, for us, it's not about who I am, but the I am that is calling us. You see, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine this morning if, if we were just praying, God, I want your will today. I woke up this morning and I said, God, what's, what do you want to do today? It's not my life. It's not my plan. I don't have, a, I'm just, just going to follow you today and I'm aware of what you want to do. It's not my life. It's not what I, my agenda. In fact, my prayer is that I'm going to actually shift to get onto your agenda every day. Like that, I love it, Aaron. You were kind of nailing it I didn't even, when you were talking about how I wish we would just do one prayer when we get say, God, I want to be closer to you today. You, you started off, you were, almost, you were prophesying Prophesying for the message where God's giving an invitation and a call, and He says, It's my purposes. Now just let go. Let go of the wheel. Let go of the wheel. Let me take control. Just let me take control. Let me be your GPS. And we're like, Really? I I don't know if I like that idea. Moses fought with it. I love that God is so real with people. But when you do that, when you start living that way, this is what God does it's really simple. He puts little thoughts in your brain that you suddenly go, okay, God, I'll do it. I have a ministry right now of bringing coffee. Bringing coffee. It's a great calling. It's a great purpose. I'll tell you why. God, one day I was sitting there at Starbucks loving my coffee, loving what I do and just enjoying my time, and the Lord said, it's not just about you. And he said, would you go and get your wife a coffee? Really? That's it? My purpose? Yes, get her a coffee. So I came one day and I brought her her coffee. I came to the school and said, here, honey, here's your coffee. She goes, "Ah, how did you know? How did you know? I've been so tired, so dying, and you brought a coffee. It was the Lord. I have a new ministry. But it took me to say, God, this is not about me sipping on my coffee. You have a purpose for me that's greater. And suddenly I'm realizing God likes me to give coffee to a lot of other people. It's, it's actually really fun when he says, I have a purpose for you. Who wants to be a part of the coffee ministry? <laughs> yes! Amen, Carla. You're coming next. Come on. Try asking tomorrow when you wake up, Lord, what do you have for me today? And the final one is this, the last thing that we have to deal with, which is the most important, is in accepting this call, we obviously recognize he's holy, and and we have to say it's his purpose and and receive his purpose, but the other thing we have to do is deal with rejection. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. Now, When I say dealing with rejection, because we, he was obviously, he knew that when I do this, I'm going to face rejection, but the interesting thing was Moses was actually rejecting God. He was being confronting with, for a bunch of excuses. Do you have any excuses with God? He, I'm too busy. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm just not good enough. Ever give any of those excuses? Ever? The busy one is probably my Achilles heel. Or I, I got other things that I got to do. You see, there's a lot of reasons why we wouldn't believe that God would call us. Because we all look at what we see, what's missing. We can't do it. How could God use me? There's more. There's better people. And we actually judge ourselves by the standard of the world and so often decline God's callings all the time. Every day. Did you know, this is the scary part, is God started to say, do you know how many times I call you every day and you don't respond? And primarily because of my excuses. Sometimes it's because I judge myself by other people. But it's interesting in that God chooses usually the people that are weak. And he uses the broken. Elizabeth was too old. Jeremiah was too young. Rahab was a prostitute. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Jonah ran away. Peter denied him. Lazarus was dead. God can use a dead man. That's a pretty... uh, What other excuse do you have there? God, I can't even breathe. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. In our own, we can't accomplish anything. But that's the point. In our own, we can't. We focus on the things that we cannot do. And we miss the truth that it's not about us. It's about the one who calls us. The great I am. And God calls us all the time to use our talents and our gifts To make the world better and and calling you to share the amazing things you've learned. But I love this scripture that it's very real. Moses struggled to say yes, and we do too. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in past or in since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, and who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now therefore go and I'll be, with your, be in your mouth and teach what you have to speak. And look at Moses' response. Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Can I confess? This is us, church. Often, God's calling us and we're saying, send someone else. I know I do. Can I be really honest? I do. But God so lovingly does something which is amazing. He then turns to Moses and he says, I'm going to use what you have. What do you have? Using what we have is really simple. Responding to this call, dealing with rejection, God says, just look what you have. And he goes, what do you got in your hand? I got a a staff. I got a staff. That's all I got. I got a staff. God says, good, I'll use that. You want to use your staff? Now, for him, that was just a shepherd. That's his work. I'm just doing the things I do every day, working. God goes, great, I can use that. Are you okay with me just letting me use your staff? Whatever you do. Really, God? Yeah. You know how God likes to use our little things to make big things? Think about it. There's a little boy. God says, I want you to feed 5,000. We can't do it. Little boy, well, what do you got? Little boy, I got two. I got two fish and five, or five loaves, five loaves and two fish. Great! Can we use it now? We can use that. We can use that. See, because God doesn't look at our lack; He looks at just what you when you say yes, and the, and the invitation for us when we say yes to Him. Now, I find it very ironic that he says, now I want you to put it down. Put down that staff. Put it down, okay? I put it down, and guess what happens? This is very funny. He puts it down, it turns into a snake. You know, the very thing he took his shoes off that he was worried about it biting, now he's like, okay, this didn't turn out well. (laughs) Uh, I thought it was supposed to get easier if I obey, and it actually didn't get easier. It got a little crazier. Oh, and I want you to pick up that snake by its tail. How many of you like to pick up a snake by its tail? No, because the head's going to come back at you. And now I have to deal with fear. I have to deal with everything. What? This is not getting easier, me saying, yes, I just gave you, I gave you my coffee, Lord. Now I've got to pay for everyone else's coffee. Doesn't work. And God says, but watch, because you've got a bigger snake you're going to be facing. I'm training you for Pharaoh. Pharaoh who had the snake on his forehead. And you're going to go up to him and say, let my people go. Grab that snake, using what you do every day for my glory, and it's going to lead to a bigger thing. Do you get it? So now I trust you. And I just say, okay, whoa, this is getting crazy, but you can use what I have. I really appreciate it because this church is such a serving church. You are amazing. in the fact that we are a church that does, we send missionaries, we do it, we, we are, we, God, you are always giving what you have. You're little. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving, responding to a call. Because this is the neat thing. Moses still argued with God. I don't want to do it. Fine! I'll send somebody else with you. See, church, maybe you're struggling with your calling, but this is why we're a family. Suddenly you have a loving person saying, you're missing out on your calling, aren't you? You're missing. Maybe even this week, that's what your primary thing will be. You have to turn to your husband or turn to your family, family member and say, you're, you're not living out your calling, are you? My wife does it to me all the time. Anyway. We have a huge calling and this is what I think in the church. One is this. We've been doing EAL. Why are we doing EAL? Because we want to actually open our doors to teach people English. And people are going, really? That's all? Yeah, I'm going to use English to help share the love of God to other people. So every Sunday, teaching EAL. Now, this is even getting crazier. This is how Alt is getting. Suddenly, we've said, well, we believe God wants us to minister to, uh, to the broken homes and, that, and, and those that are hurting. And so then these doors have been opening with CFS. In fact, it's been amazing what's God doing. They're going, uh, yeah, we had a meeting with these guys, and they said, um, yeah, we are really need some help. And we, you want to help us as a church? Yeah. What can we do? Well, um, well, you see these waiting rooms? We have some people that come here and they have to do all these, like we have to assess them and these rooms are terrible. Like they, like, they got to sit there with their kids for an hour and it's, it's their, they're, they're broken down. Well, we can fix that. We could, we could do that. And the neat thing is it's like collaborating with like three or four churches that actually said we could make a difference in the childcare if we just show the love of Christ. We're going to use what we've got to bless our city. And you know what? People go, I don't want to be in foster care. Well, no, you don't have to be in foster care. Can you build a shelf? Uh, what? Can you actually help get groceries for somebody that is in foster care? Would you do that? Yeah, I can do it. I can use, because as a team or as a family, everyone needs an Aaron. Moses did. I want to receive the God who calls. He has a calling on us, his church. He has a huge calling on each one of us every day. It begins by first recognizing this invitation from a holy God, deal with our sin. Take off your sandals. It's accepting that invitation and receiving his purpose in our life. Not making it about us, but making it about him again. And dealing with rejection, dealing with our excuses and dealing with the things that keep us from actually receiving but doing it together.